podcasting is radio. Of course, if you define radio as AM, FM, that's what it is. It's radio as AM and FM. But I define radio as audio streamed to an audience. That is to say, broadcast to an audience. And it doesn't really matter, you know, how you do it, whether you do it through podcasting, um, whether you do it through internet radio, whether you do it through any variety of methods. If it's audio streamed to a bunch of people and it's more or less, you know, simultaneously, it's more or less now, then I think it's radio. I think that radio and podcasting are more or less the same thing. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reesmandel, and joining us today from San Francisco, California, we have two other radio survivors. First up, virtually on break from the University of California in Santa Cruz, Matthew Lassar. Welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. <laughs> and uh, as well, you've heard her voice many more times this year, Jennifer Waits. Hello, greetings from San Francisco. We, we almost have the band back together. Unfortunately, uh, Eric uh, had a, something come up that he can't be here. He might join us in progress, so let's all hope for that. And then we can truly have all four radio survivors uh, together. And we're here in December of 2019 to take a look back at the year that was and how it relates uh, to radio. And... Matthew, just before we started talking here while recording, uh, you were telling us about your undergraduate students at the it's University not just, of It's not just my undergraduate students California. at UC Santa Cruz. It's also me. Okay. I, I have dubbed 2019 the year that AMFM radio disappeared. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> disappeared? I mean, it, I mean, it's still there, obviously, and people still listen to it, but they, my students sure don't. When I asked them, you know, what do you listen to? How many of you listen to radio? You know, how many of you listen to MFM radio? It used to be that, you know, I would get, you know, a bunch of kids. They would raise their hands. And then I would say, how many of you listen to it at home? And they would all, their hands would go all down. And then I would say, how many of you listen to it with cars? And their hands would go all up. Um, those who listen to MFM radio and mostly FM radio. This year I asked a bunch of them. And two of them, two, for FM radio, out of a class of 185 students, two raised their hands. Wow. The rest, it's all podcasts, 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 podcasts. And guess what? That's true for me, too. I got a I just just to carry this a little further. I bought a new car at the beginning of 2019. I bought a Honda Fit um, and I put it together. You know, I just you know, and I put together the in the audio system and I stuck my iPhone into it. At first, I listened to XM Sirius radio a lot, but I, I couldn't afford the money. So I stopped. And then I just started listening to Spotify um, a lot through my and I got a Spotify subscription. And now I listen to all these weird podcasts on Spotify. You know, I listen to the ancient Rome um, um podcast where I just basically, you know, you know, you know, everything you wanted to know about Romulus and Remus, you know, in like, and I listened to the, I listened to the classical, a classical music podcast where they, they take apart the um, interpretations of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony by nine different conductors and things like that. Um, And, you know, I, I, and I also listened to all the music on, on Spotify and my students, they all listen to podcasts. They all listen to Slow Burn. They, you know, they listen to all of these different, you know, um, uh, the dollop that, you know, they listen to all these different podcasts. And really, 
it, in a very fundamental way, I think that um, um, AFFM radio sort of disappeared um, from their lives. Uh, and I, I wondered, do you know, and you probably don't drill down to ask how they listen. Are they listening to podcasts on Spotify? Because you can also listen to them on, on the iHeartRadio app. Right. And, and, uh, and iHeart has been promoting their podcasts uh, like wall to wall on their radio stations in the last year. Um, I think that a lot of them are listening to them on on podcasting apps okay. on their phones. So they're listening so to they're like li- the Apple podcast, Stitcher, uh, yeah. uh, Overcast, etc. They're listening to it on, you know, their own. On, um, um, and but a lot of them are probably listening to it on Spotify because a lot of them, a lot of them. When I ask, you know, what are you listening to? Pandora, Spotify. You know all these different things. They Spotify their their hands all go up. Yeah, we can identify that as a trend in the industry. So I work in podcasting, which uh, longtime listeners uh, to the show will know, but I'll, I'll call it out for someone for people who don't know. And um, what we're seeing is that uh, folks who say they listen primarily on Spotify, that listening is going up much more. It used to be Apple Podcasts, uh, formerly known as iTunes. Uh, was the dominant music player. It still is, but it's losing its dominance, and particularly if we limit our uh, survey to uh, people who are either new to podcasting in general or who are young, uh, typically under 25, they overwhelmingly are using Spotify. There's been a a real sea change. And Spotify as well, you've probably noticed, Matthew, um, is doing a lot to put podcasts in front of its users, right? That's right. It's much more. It's a much more prominent place. They got they got a tab, right? The first first screen you go to, they got a tab right there. Is music, and then there's podcasts. You just click podcasts, and then all the podcasts that you. I mean, it's a little difficult because you. It's hard to choose podcasts on the mobile app. Mm-hmm. It's it's much easier to choose them on your um on your desktop or your laptop. Um, but once you've got your podcast lined up, it's really easy to listen to them um, on Spotify. Um, and so, you know, that's 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 what my kids are all doing. Do you think they're listening to radio shows that are that are also podcasts, whether it's, you know, sort of the NPR stalwarts of Fresh Air or something like that? Or, you know, actually a lot of uh, iHeart uh, commercial radio shows and, and other networks are now uh, essentially available as podcasts as well. Do, do you get that sense, or or Spotify? Is- Spotify is pushing NPR a lot. Okay. Um, there are, yeah. you know, they're put they're pushing podcasts that have like the fu- that have like the that include the five minute NPR um, news um, segment. Um, there's one called Snacks, where it's basically about the stock market, and they um and they play some tunes, and then they have some chat about the stock market, and they include NPR, and that and 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 Spotify is pushing that um, a lot. But a lot of my students are listening to, they're listening to uh, podcasts that are really, really sort of independent podcasts that are really pushing themselves at young people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and um and that combine humor with social and political analysis and that do a lot of stuff about conspiracy theories and do a lot of stuff about culture and and stuff like that and i think that that's what they're listening to 
So, Matthew, you're a little bit older than your students. Yeah, uh, just a tad. You're a lifelong, otherwise, radio guy, though. You've, you've authored uh, two books about uh, the Pacifica Network. You've authored uh, a textbook called Radio 2.0, right, which looks at the digital transformation of radio. How still did make, we makes lose Makes a great you? holiday gift. You <laughs> yeah. can still get it. How, how did we lose you? How did radio lose you in this, in this transformation over to your brand new Honda Fit? Um, you know, I, I just, I mean, first of all, it's, there are all of these podcasts. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts for old, for old geezers like me. <laughs> I mean, there are, they're just all kinds of really interesting, you know, podcasts about philosophy, um, podcasts about, you know, really drill down classical music podcasts that do things like listen to the opening of seven beginnings of Beethoven's fifth symphony to see how they're different. I mean, we're talking about, you know, stuff about poetry, stuff about history, really just hardcore indie. There's just so much indie stuff out there. That's, um, you know, for, a, you know, for, a for an obscurantist like myself, <laughs> to, you know, to listen to. And I think that that's um, a large portion of the reason why I, um, I, I you know, I, I, I switched over. You know, I started sort of with gateway drugs podcasts like um, <laughs> slow, um, slow, slow Burn, yeah. um, you know, which is the history of Watergate. And that was really fascinating. And, and this year, around. Slow Burn is about uh, the Tupac and Biggie feud, the East West feud and their and their untimely demises. So, uh, yeah, it, it, and they, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And they and they really, you know, they really take this stuff uh, to a level of detail that you don't get even on national public radio or any public radio show. I mean, they're they're willing to get obscure and detailed and nerdy about stuff in a way that conventional radio broadcasters are probably taught never to do. And there's a big audience for that. And I'm part of it. So so I want to bring in Jennifer because. Uh, you have told us before on the show, Jennifer, that you're really not a podcast listener. It's true. It, yeah, I mean, <laughs> except for the Radio Survivor podcast and and some of the guests who we have on who have podcasts, I I don't really listen to podcasts, and I'm probably listening to more terrestrial radio than I did last year. So more, it, okay. It's 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 interesting to hear Matthew's anecdote because I I think about how there are actually more community radio stations on the dial in San Francisco right now. And so I'm listening, listening to those stations more um, to check out what they're doing. So my habits have changed and maybe I've been driving a bit more this year because like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people perhaps listen to terrestrial radio in the car, but not at home. And, you know, listening to an FM or an AM signal, that is something that I do in the car. In the house, I will listen to streams of terrestrial radio stations, but it's very rare that I will be able to listen to FM or AM reception inside in San Francisco. Jennifer, is it fair to say that you have X amount of time for listening? And a lot of it sounds like it's probably in the car. And there's so much radio you want to, you want to make sure you're catching that there isn't really a place for podcasts. Why haven't podcasts caught your interest? Yes, it's the same uh, the same reason that I think we've talked about before when you tease this out of me. And I think it does have to do with time. And 
you know, I have limited audio time. And I also feel a bit like I'm cheating if I have access to terrestrial radio and I'm not listening to terrestrial radio. I like to listen to what's happening locally and and what's live on the radio, even when I'm traveling. And recently we took a long road trip to Southern California, which is like a seven hour car ride. And there are times when family members want to listen to satellite radio. And I always feel like, oh, you know, what am I missing on the terrestrial dial? And and there are things I look forward to on that drive. There's a nostalgia station that is in Central California that plays some of the most amazing retro music, mostly from the mid-1950s. And it's just stuff that I don't hear on terrestrial radio. And so to me, that's there's this special joy in hearing that station on these select times when we're taking that road trip. And I'm hearing you know, deep cuts, songs I've never heard before on this radio station. Now, Matthew, are you not missing this? <laughs> do you not feel, do you not have FOMO, fear of missing out for, for terrestrial radio? Or did just terrestrial radio, has it lost you? Um, well, I mean, we still listen to, you know, my wife, Sharon, and I uh, continue to listen to terrestrial radio in the morning. Um, we, um, we, we, have a laptop on the uh, kitchen table and we turn it to to national public radio and we listen to national public radio headlines in the morning and we listen to BBC radio uh, headlines in the morning. So it's not like we're completely devoid of any um, radio, but there's such a wealth of stuff and music on various online venues like Spotify, plus all kinds of interesting, obscure and interesting podcasts um, on Spotify that I want to listen to that. No, I don't miss it. I mean, I have to, I have to, I have, I have to admit that I, you know, that I just, you know, I listen to what I want to listen to. Some of this has to do with, I mean, part of the reason for this is that I, you know, I don't really talk to my students. I ask them what they're listening to and they come up to me and they tell me about all these podcasts and all this stuff that's available. And not only that, but our media department um, has uh, courses on how to make podcasts. And uh, we have a, you know, we have a professional person at UC Santa Cruz who helps people make podcasts. You can even make podcasts as a as as a class project um, at UC uh, Santa Cruz. So, you know, everybody's really into this over there hmm. that this is not to say that there aren't a lot of people who continue. This is just I mean, this is just my own, you know, my own personal um, listening habits. There is not to say that there aren't a lot of people in the Santa Cruz area who continue to listen um, to radio. There's a new uh, a community radio station in Santa Cruz, which uh, just opened up called The Squid, um, and which lots of people are quite um, excited about. There's all kinds of interesting, you know, and Santa Cruz has a lot of great radio, community radio stations. Uh, so lots of people are really into that. But speaking personally, you know, the, the part of me that wants to hear about really obscure, dialed down, you know, uh, you know, detailed information about things that people don't normally talk about. Uh, podcasts are are a big draw, and I yeah. can listen to them. I can listen to them in my car. You know, I take long trips 
to and from San Francisco to Santa Cruz. I live half the week in Santa Cruz and live half the week in San Francisco. And so it's really great to have that. And I mean, part of the reason why this has happened is because the Honda Fit has a really great interface with my iPhone, mm-hmm. which, you know, which allows me to basically use my iPhone um, in all kinds of um, ways and, you know, see the data on the screen. Right. It's like Apple's and, CarPlay. So you can basically, yeah, see it right on that, that display. And there's not a lot of fumbling around like it used to be trying to right. manipulate three devices while you're driving. It's really easy. Um, and um, it's really good. So, Jennifer, one of the things that Matthew just mentioned is that, you know, there at Santa Cruz, uh, students can learn how to podcast. Uh, you can now give podcasts as an assignment. Uh, you are our resident college radio watcher and expert. And, you know, students, as we've learned as uh, every year, uh, year upon year, are still making terrestrial radio. They still are making uh, both an online radio, synchronous, music-based uh, radio streams. There's more college radio now than ever. Um, are they are they listening to, <laughs> to their streams? Are they making podcasts? What, what where does where does college radio fit into this uh, ever changing audio universe? Yeah, well, I mean, people in college, college students, are are always the innovators technologically, and so of course they are. They are making podcasts, exploring podcasts in addition to doing radio. And and what I've noticed in the past year is I'm hearing more and more about college radio stations that are starting up podcasts and starting up podcast networks. And, you know, in addition to putting some of their radio shows onto a podcast platform, there are st- more and more stations are doing standalone podcasts in addition to that. And... And and also, I've been hearing about stations that that seem to be attracting more participants through the podcasting angle, and and are finding out that that's actually a way to get students interested in radio, as as podcasting has become so insanely popular. Uh, sometimes that word podcasting is more alluring to students than the word radio. Mm. It's sort of like we have a studio, we have, you know, we can make radio, we have production facilities. You can also make podcasts here and learn how is that, is that the draw? Yeah. And, and well, we've heard that from professors and from radio stations that if you put podcasting in the title of a course that might attract more interest than Hmm. radio even though you may be discussing some of the same concepts. And, and and some stations, college and community, have realized that it's a way of bridging ties with other communities. And there's this incredible demand for production facilities and, and help in making podcasts. And radio stations are perfectly set up to help people produce this kind of programming because radio stations have been producing audio you know, for a hundred years. And, and so they have those tools and can now be a conduit and, and a learning lab for people in the community who want to make podcasts. So some stations are opening up their studios so that, so that budding podcasters can create content. 
Yes, and I know that uh, X-Ray FM here in Portland, Oregon, uh, which carries Radio Survivor, is one such community radio station that uh, does that. And, and such to the extent to which uh, there are a number of shows that exist as podcasts on their schedule, not just Radio Survivor. Um, and I know that they, you know, we hand over the show to X-Ray. We don't necessarily even produce it there. But a lot of these shows are now not necessarily produced live, which is sort of been the community radio way for a long time is that even if a show is it releases a podcast it's sort of recorded live on the air in the studio and then recorded for later release i did that uh for a lot of years with uh, my own show called media geek um but they definitely have shows on our podcast that are going from you know basically hard drive to air um you know rather than being recorded live and of course one of the nice things from standpoint of being a community volunteer, I think, and I'm sure a similar thing would be true for a college student, is that if you're doing a kind of program that doesn't need to be live, uh, being able to do it without having to fit the radio station schedule into your own schedule uh, can make it, can free it up and I think make it more accessible, especially to folks for whom uh, being able to get to a radio station at a particular time can be difficult. People who have children, jobs, other sorts of family obligations, or even transport uh, issues. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, the ability for there to be this radio to podcast or podcast to radio connection uh, can, can help diversify, really, who's able to uh, be involved in a radio station. And some of, and some of these new low-power FM stations have very small and spartan studios so they they almost need to have people producing some content away from the studio mm-hmm. as well and um, i'm thinking about san francisco public press which is one of the stations that that has me tuning to fm a little bit more in san francisco because they're they're newly on fm and so i like to catch what they're doing and they have very few shows at this point, I, th- I believe they only have one show that they produce, and the rest of the time, it's uh, NPR or PRX Remix is what airs, and they also mm-hmm. air the Radio Survivor show. And what is PRX uh, Remix? I don't know if people necessarily have heard of this. It's a, it's it's a selection. It's kind of like a rotating selection of stories that have been submitted to PRX Public Radio Exchange. So. So if you tune in and when they're playing PRX Remix, you might hear a bunch of small produced stories. Sort of like features, basically, like that. that uh, and P- Public Radio Exchange is a place where public radio producers of all stripes, it includes community radio producers, includes independent producers, can uh, upload and share their content uh, with with any station that might be looking for something. And so it could be a station that's like a local magazine show and they're looking for uh, something on a particular topic and or they're just looking to fill the 12 minutes or something and they can go find something. But you're right. The, the, instead, this stream takes them all and 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 puts them in a remix as it says yeah yeah so that's a lot of what you hear and and I I guess essentially it's like listening to a bunch of little podcasts and and so um the San Francisco Public Press Station is also seeking out local radio producers podcast producers to submit their own original programming so it's kind of like what you're saying like they would like to increase the diversity of their content by having people who already have perhaps an established locally focused podcast to go ahead and submit it to their station to air over the San Francisco public press radio station. So it's an interesting new model where 
they know that there are people out there producing audio content and and they're inviting them finding them in mm-hmm. and and can i back up to the college radio question i don't know do you have a sense of like what kind of podcasts are college stations producing and if they're creating networks do you have an example of like what is the focus what are they you know is it like repurposing what might be a talk show or are they is it more like what you're seeing uh you know out there are they doing reportage or is it cultural commentary do you have any sense oh you i don't have a total sense uh you know one one new one that that i just read about um is a music focused podcast that really has to do with expanding one's understanding of um, of women in music. So it, so tackling some tackling some social issues, but then combining it with music. I think a lot of college radio stations have a music focus, so you're probably going to find podcasts that are digging into music topics um, in addition to podcasts with a public affairs slant. But yeah, I haven't done like a whole survey of you know, what is the content of these? Well, that would be fascinating. I, I think yeah. it, it could be really useful to understand, you know, where, where college radio stations and college students see themselves fitting in to the, the universe of what is sort of both, I think, mainstream in podcasting and not so mainstream, right? Uh, you know, whether it's your sort of slow burns, which is created by Slate, uh, which is, you know, historical reporting, to some extent investigative reporting um, by, you know, trained radio journalist all the way down to things you mentioned a show like the dollop matthew is something that your students like which i I, it's sort of like a political comedy talk show uh much more freewheeling and in some ways maybe uh, meets up with people's stereotypical notion of a podcast of of a bunch of guys sitting around uh you know talking and and just having fun in a freewheeling sort of manner so yeah that would be that'd be fascinating if you if you can share that uh one uh the podcast you mentioned about uh understanding women's place in music uh we'll share it in our oh. show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast so people can go follow up on that as well yeah it's it's called um marge rock actually i just found it on wknc at north carolina state university so it's it's local music and discussions about feminism um so they rebooted a prior podcast that uh, used to be called Fem Rock, and they're now ca- now calling it Marge Rock, and that stands for marginalized rock, and, uh-huh. and that's definitely something I hear a lot about when I'm covering college radio. Is at a lot of stations there is a lot more attention to making sure stations are more inclusive and and having programming and and even philosophies of how you know, a station is managed so that people from marginalized communities feel welcome. And that voice you just heard is Jennifer Waits. This is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Riesmanel. Also joining us from San Francisco, California, is Matthew Lassar, one of the co-founders, along with Jennifer and myself of Radio Survivor, and uh, we're lucky that he can join us for this year in review. What what was important to radio or in audio in these worlds in 2019? What are the what are the things that we noticed? Uh, and um, 
you know, really kind of looking beyond what might be in the radio trade press, what was important to the industry, but what's in, what seems to have been important to listeners, what seems to have been important to people who are in community radio, college radio, and, and, and in, in community podcasting and independent podcasting. Uh, Matthew, you know, uh, we started off, you know, we got started into podcasting because you, you noted how uh, your students are almost now not listening to radio at all. They're listening to podcasts. Well, I want to to say something about um, the use of the words podcast and the use of the words radio. Please. Um, In my opinion, the way I see it, podcasting is radio. If you, of course, if you define radio as AM FM, then, I mean, I guess that that's, that's what it is. It's radio is AM and FM, but I define radio as um, audio uh, streamed to an audience. Right. Um, I, it's one, it's it's one audio, one audio sample, one item of audio streamed to a to an audience. That is to say, broadcast to an audience, and it doesn't really matter how you you know how you do it whether you do it through podcasting um whether you do it through internet radio whether you do it through any variety of methods if it's audio streamed to a bunch of people and it's more or less you know simultaneously it's more or less now with podcasting you stretch out now by you know at some hours or maybe a day at most most of the time um it then then i think it's radio i think that radio and podcasting are more or less the same thing they're different they're different in the sense that the radio is done differently we you know we grew up i grew up in an anomalous um what probably is a historically anomalous era for radio that is to say for almost a century radio was only done in one way first it was done with am and then it was done with fm and so we associate radio with AFM and fm but when we think about the history of how we consume texts in so many different ways, you know, how we consume characters in so many different ways. I think that that's what's happening with radio now. Mm-hmm. We're listening to radio in all these different ways that we have always consumed text, books, newspapers, you know, on our computer screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still, I think, really radio. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to support your argument in the same way that, you know, can Netflix be movies? Well, apparently, you know, it, it can, right? Can Netflix be television? Well, apparently it can. Are we limited to, you know, it television being over the air? Can a movie only be something which you sit down in a theater with other people to see projected off a celluloid onto a big screen? Now, the Academy uh, uh, believes that that has to be in order to win an Oscar. Netflix has to screen it in a theater somewhere. But I think to the average person or average understanding, you don't differentiate now between a movie that Amazon or Netflix or Hulu created uh, versus uh, something that was created by Paramount or, uh, you know, a a stalwart uh, feature film producer. And and I think that I think I I agree with you. I don't think you're going to find any real disagreement here uh, amongst radio survivors that podcasting really is radio. I'm glad to say Eric Klein has joined us. Uh, oh, we're, good. We're glad to have him aboard. And I know this is an argument uh, that you've made many times, well, uh, Eric, and I need to turn on your microphone. And I have to say that yesterday I had the opportunity to make this argument to some a room full of 13-year-olds. Okay. And they pushed back. Wow. They oh. pushed back, and I loved it. I told them that podcasts are radio and radio are podcasts, and one of them very incredulously said, wait, so we're not going to start calling all television Netflix, so why should I start calling all radio 
podcast. But we can call all podcasts radio. Ah. Yeah, well, but, you know, try telling that to a cynical zillennial. You know, Eric, I, ha- I have to say that when it comes to movies, I do it, it does strain my credulity. Um, to 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 talk to students who say how much they enjoyed watching Lawrence of Arabia on their iPhone. I mean, I you know, it just you know these great big you know panoscopic scenes on these little tiny on these little tiny um, um, iPhones. But still, it's a movie. Yeah. You know, let's take that. I want to take that same kind of scale and scope uh, theme here because, you know, I think. One of the things that might be different about podcasting that we're seeing versus radio is how podcasting tends to be consumed solo. And it's not that people never listen to podcasting groups uh, and so much or as have communities that they enjoy podcasts together. Yeah, but they talk about it in online communities. But so much Twitter. of it is consumed, you know, by people like say yourself, Matthew, who are solo commuters in a car or in their earbuds or earphones. You know, there there's been much discussion about how uh, or hope, I think, how smart speakers, you know, uh, an Amazon Alexa, a Google Home or something like that was going to be this uh, great influx of podcast listeners from those platforms, but we're not seeing it. Hmm. We're seeing it's going, it's going up bit by bit, but it seems when it comes to people using their smart speakers to consume audio, they're principally consuming uh, music um, by far and away is something they're consuming. And then the next up is more is actually radio. It's really you repurposed radio, but it tends towards news. It tends towards people wanting the weather, wanting NPR headlines and things like this. We're only just seeing a little bit of, a, of an increase in podcasts. And one theory someone could throw out there is that with your smart speaker at home is a group listening experience more likely, right? That sort of like the scenario you put out there, Matthew, uh, that you and your wife at home in the mornings, you fire up the laptop to get your NPR stream and get your news. Uh, and so on, maybe doing the same thing around the breakfast table or, or yeah. firing up some music uh, even during on, dinner. Even on a family commute in the car, there's sort of a group. Time. Yeah, but I wonder, but you know, I wonder how much I hear about people listening to podcasts. But I wonder, Matthew, you know, you've thought a lot about this notion and the connection of audience to uh, to the, and 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 the, and the collaborative experience or the group experience of listening. If podcasting doesn't mark some sort of change in that notion of audience mm-hmm. in broadcasting, and if we're really seeing well, that in this time, I mean, I think that that's a subset of a larger problem. I mean, if you want to call it a problem, and I sort of do want to call it a problem, and that is, is that the uh, mobile device experience is a very private experience um, on a wide variety of levels. Let's face it, people just listen to their mobile devices, and it shuts them out um, from what's going on around them, even in their immediate surroundings, and uh, and it's really sort of radically transformed um, the way people move through the streets, um, no matter what they're doing, not just podcasting, but texting, everything else that they're doing. It's all become, you know, this incredibly private, um, hermetically um, sealed experience. And so until that changes, I think that the podcasting experience, which mostly comes out of the mobile device experience, um, is not going to change. And yet podcasting is is sort of known for its ability to galvanize an audience, right? And, and, and that, and that, 
in some ways much more so than we've seen right. radio but do in a long time. It's an online community as opposed to a, a neighborhood community or or a local, you know. In, Very often, in yeah. ra- radio, radio is you listen to the programming of the people that you live around, mm-hmm. and podcasting is is more of a selected group. And yet one of the big money makers for podcasters is to have live performances, yeah. right? And 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 some podcasts go yeah. on tour. Yeah. Right. right. You know, and and it's an and it is an opportunity, you know, if you're sort of a more nationally known podcast for you to go to a city uh, and connect with listeners who then connect with each other often in their, in their mutual love for a particular show. Yeah. And then there are shows uh, often that simply do live episodes in, in the city of residence but where they are. What I, what I wonder next is do, do any other programs get to drag off of that uh, collective love? Like if, if there is one show that, um, that 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 fills an auditorium with with a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, do those thousand people share a second show, or no? They only have this one fandom. Well, they don't know until they talk to each other, right? But it, it's um, it's and there are podcast but, festivals. But in radio, in radio, um, you know, people tend to listen to stations, so they're fans of multiple. They can they can pick and choose like a like a deck of cards. Like, like, uh, or like, um, they are, and they are not fans of stations. I, I, right. I, you know, and I wonder if this is it, especially, I, I think what we're, we're identifying here in 2019 is that we're really at this inflection point in the consumption of audio and it's, be, and, and it's, and it's obviously ongoing. It is a trend that is now, uh, entering into 20 years old, but I think we're, Feeling it—that's what I'm getting from this conversation. Is we're really feeling it right now more so than I think uh, we have before. And I've argued in the past that one of community radio's challenges is, and and having this sort of eclectic schedule has often been that um, listeners who aren't haven't been listening to community radio their entire life often don't know how to consume it because they're trained by commercial radio and public radio at this point to understand that for the most part, stations have a particular set genre or a particular set type of programming. And so if they hear something when they tune in, that's what they're trained to expect. So if they hear folk music on your station, their impulse is that it's going to be folk music and not that they tune back in six hours later and, and hear, uh, you know, throat singing or, or hardcore punk or a a talk, a talk station in a language other than their Yeah. And and we see that in, in, in public radio, that's been the advice being given to public stations. Uh, we're seeing, you know, stations that sort of share, uh, news talk with jazz or classical, moving towards one or the other side, moving out most of the music programming, mostly to go to talk, uh, you know, rather than trying to share out the time with, with the same uh, assumption in mind. And I've also known throughout time, you know, and this is anecdotal, but definitely talk to community radio listeners uh, and to some extent public radio listeners who aren't fans of a station. They're fans of a show. They love... You know, they love this particular talk show on Saturday morning. They love the country music show on Friday nights. They tune in for that and the rest they don't care about. And if they love that show enough, they support that station, but it doesn't necessarily lead them to becoming fans of the station. And I think we see a parallel in podcasting where often there's discussion on networks 
Yeah. Right. There are podcast networks that are sort of unified, sometimes by a theme. Uh, could be comedy, could be audio drama, things like this. And we wonder, are there fans of networks, right? Do we have the network effect? If someone becomes a fan of one show, they become a fan of another. And what I'm seeing, anecdotally at least, is I think that that's only a little true. And that I think uh, podcast listeners get into a show maybe get into a host and maybe a host tells them about other shows and endorses it um, or has, you know, a guest on and they move from show to show, but they, uh, otherwise it doesn't seem like networks mean much. And, and, and Matthew, since you're sort of a, I'm not going to call you a recent convert to, uh, to podcasts, but it sounds like you're a recent enthusiast of the format. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, you know, to what extent does, uh, the provenance of a show, its producer, uh, leads you to say, well, maybe I want to listen to this network show, or is it much more sort of by the, uh, are you brought to something simply by virtue of its content, by what it's about? Um, I think that it's safe to say that I'm less aware of the network as I am, than I am of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, however, getting back to something we discussed early, earlier, which is you know the, the privateness, of podcasts, there are important podcasts that break that mold. And some of this has already been discussed, but I want to get back to it. The first podcast I ever listened to with any regularity, which I listened to to this day, was Welcome to Night Vale, Um, the show about this imaginary southwestern town where all of these really weird things happen and which is narrated by a community radio host. um, which is. a fictional a fictional community radio host. And, you know, they go all around the United States and they do performances and they do reading readings to great big audiences. Often those audiences, at least the last time I checked, were completely sold out. They sell T-shirts, they sell all kinds of things, you know, and they have live, you know, and they have and they promote they promote bands and things like that. And, of course, there's a vast uh, network out there of people who argue with each other about the politics um, on a cultural, gender, race level, of sexual level of, of welcome, deny, fail. You know, they do stuff on Instagram. They do they do responses to things on YouTube. I mean, they do all of this, um, you know, amazing stuff. So then in a sense, there are some podcasts which are quite public in the sense that, they, you know, there's this, all this group. Um, uh, and, and in a sense... I've always experienced Welcome to Night Vale as a radio station in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've just experienced it as a this radio station that I go to where there's just just one show um, called Welcome to Night Vale. And then I follow other things that are said about it in other places on Reddit, you know, and all these other venues. And, you know, of course, there are Facebook groups to well, Welcome to Night Welcome to Night Vale. Um so I think that, that there are a lot of radio, there are a lot of podcasts, I suspect, that 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 break out of this um, uh, private mode. Um, but it's also true that the, you know, the idea of them, you know, of a whole bunch of people listening physically together to the radio show, that doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's I mean, it's interesting to compare it to um, early broadcast radio because early broadcast radio in the 1920s, when lots of people didn't have radios, you know, receivers, it was very communally consumed. And and, and, were but still- in some ways, right, that was simply by virtue of rarity. Who could afford right. to have a radio? Never mind two. 
Right, right. I mean, I think I mean, the same thing a, is true with television, right? That it was a yeah, communal experience. Early, early television, people went over to each other's houses to watch yeah. the television set. And then by the, you know, by the mid-1950s, late-1950s, everybody had their own TV set. Um, and um, except that you did go to bars um, to watch TV. And people still like do that. to go watch sports together very often. Yeah, they were. Right. When I was a kid, uh, even, we went across the street because we didn't have a color TV. So we uh, went across the street to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in color. At our neighbor's yeah. house, so yeah, it was a big deal. Wow, yeah, was it was it good color? Because I remember the early color television sets were ter- terrible. There was like sort of like pastel smudge. <laughs> it was like pastel smudge color. It's sort of like any color is better than no color. <laughs> it's probably I guess, I guess so. probably where it is. Well, but- and yeah, and one's memory, one's childhood memory of color is probably faded anyway. So yes. it's sort of hard to know. Yeah, but yeah, like back in the early days your radio or your television, you know, might've been in your living room as a large piece of furniture. And and you see the classic photos or paintings of people sitting around in their living room, consuming it all together. So it's quite different than, than being alone in your room with your phone and your headphones on. Right. We talked about that with a, with a recent guest where we were going back, uh, in Jennifer, you might have to jog my memory of who we were speaking with, but that idea oh, that Kyle Barnett, yeah, yeah, that, that, that somebody had to be a design, uh, professional to create, uh, to create a radio that, that people want to put into their living room and sit next to in the same way that somebody had to be a design professional to create a pocket device so that we would start carrying these downloadable uh, time-shifted radio programs in our pocket. And it starts with the iPod, which is why we're still stuck with podcasts. But it moves on to the That's mobile phone. Yeah. yeah, moves on to the mobile phone that, it, you know, it has the, the iPhone has to be a convenient thing that we like keeping near us for, for this medium to sort of uh, flourish on it. I mean, uh, you know, pod, the, the, the ability to listen to, to time-shifted radio was around long before... The pocket devices, uh, but the pocket devices is how they became popular. It was around for a long time before. Well, a long enough time. I I was somebody who time shifted radio as much as I possibly could long before uh, there was some there was a device that I could stick a radio program um, on on computers. Uh, I would burn things to CDs. I would listen to things on computers. So I'm I'm pressing you in a time frame yeah. because my my collection is the uh, iPod came out in 2001. Yeah, so the late 90s. Okay, yeah. There so, was the internet, and uh, you were you were downloading the very very late. You were 90s. downloading shows and real audio, yeah, using real audio. I would I would I, stream real audio to and then make cassette tapes, dubs. So I'm a weirdo in this. Okay, no, this I, way. I, which but, I mean, someone could have done that, of course, and yeah. people did do with with so, with yeah. uh, cassettes and analog. Radio I would as listen well. to Walk, Joe Frank and Walkman. Yeah, and exactly. Walkman, so yeah. I would I would stream Joe Frank or or This American Life on real audio make a cassette tape dub of that mm-hmm. and then listen to those cassettes in my car or in, you know, on my walk. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you know, it's the equivalent of somebody who got a beta machine in 1976. Yeah, so I'm trying to start podcasts in recording lots of television 1999. And, and, and time shifting as we used to call it. Uh, you know, basically you're, you're describing a, a, what was at one point a, a marginal, an outlying activity, which that's not meant as a, as, as a, uh, any sort of disc. It was hard work. Yeah. Uh, which, ultimately became mainstream in the same way that, you know, the, the person who, you know, spent the equivalent of like a two month salary on a VCR in 1976. Ah, but mine was cheap. 
<laughs> yeah, well, sure. But, you know, and started recording lots of, of television programming became of utterly mainstream activity by the late 80s, right? Yeah. And then, the, and also, then also, is now we uh, all sort of almost take for granted an on-demand universe. And, and I would say that I'm somebody who, you know, gets annoyed by having to adhere to a television broadcast schedule. Also in that pre-2005 era before the invention of the iPod, um, I, sh- I wanted to put in a plug for mini discs i i would record internet radio streamed time shifted streamed because <laughs> you couldn't always download the shows you sometimes you had to stream yeah. the shows from the time shifted i did device. the same thing uh, but dot ra real audio and yeah, we um are, uh, we are we are outliers i think yeah and then recording it onto a mini disc and taking that in your pocket i wanted to say briefly that um i i have to go um i have to go but i just wanted to say i congratulations on radio survivor um, and congratulations to the three of you. I think that you're all doing terrific um, work, and it's really great um, to talk to you. And also, I want to thank all the people who are supporting Radio Survivor. And um, I and and I really appreciate all the support that's coming in um, for this podcast and for the website. Matthew, we're so glad that you could join us here at year end, and we hope you'll you maybe have some time before the next uh, academic quarter starts to to join for another interviewer topic. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. See you later. Thanks, Matthew. Bye-bye. So, Eric, you mentioned, you know, recording shows to minidisc and recording shows to cassettes, um, you know, reminds us that, that this year, I think 2019, was a year of lots of renewed interest in audio formats, in cassettes. Vinyl continues to be very, very popular, growing in popularity, and then even compact discs. And, and I'm actually seeing, this thing I've recently tripped to, is resurgent interest in mini-discs, which were, which, uh, in which there is plans underway in 2020 for there to be a mini-disc day in the same way that there is now a record store day and there is a cassette store day. Wow. I'm in contact with the people doing it. Yeah, there yeah. is an underground of labels, music labels, that right. are releasing music on mini-disc. Uh, and, and and there's more than one. <laughs> there's multiple of them. And, and what uh, kind of music is this? It seems to... Have you heard of the genre Vaporwave? Yeah. I have. D- can either of you describe what Vaporwave is? It kind of sounds like a slowed down 45 RPM record. Yeah. But that's that's the way I think about it. Vapor... Like very, you know, kind of slow. Yeah. An 80s. I would, I would say right? Vaporwave is, yeah, 80s elevator music that's a little bit like a pop song, but mostly like uh, grocery store music before grocery store music was cool. And uh, it also sounds like it's been dubbed from a VHS tape to a cassette tape back to uh back yeah, the to a visual radio aesthetic stream. is very vhs 80s yeah. like if you were to watch a lot of and there's a lot uh, of synthesizers and slow slow beats yeah if you're watching like a videotape of of mtv from 1985 right so that's on, on a dirty v so that's VCR. vaporwave and for mini discs for the uninitiated <laughs> are a uh physical radio a physical musical and sound format that um you know really uh, provided a service to sound engineers well, it was, and it was the sound first lovers. really inexpensive practical digital recording format yeah, so late very late 90s very early 2000s uh here you have a device that both um you can record to and basically 
they're as unless I'm uh, mistaken, they're tiny little CDs inside of a beautiful little. It looks plastic, like a little CD. Yep. Plastic, uh, plastic cassette case. Before you could burn a CD, before that technology existed, yeah. uh, there was digital audio tape, but it was very expensive. It was kind of difficult to use. That that preceded. volatile. It would you you'd lose your, your recording. Yeah, two days they were later. very volatile, and uh, flash memory like we use now uh, didn't really exist. There wasn't a way to do that kind of digital recording, and so it was originally. Uh, released by Sony as a successor to the to the cassette is how yeah. they viewed it, uh, but as a music format. But it really found a home in a lot of community radio and public radio. Oh, very newsrooms. Much so. It was really the, the because the it was go to device to go record your 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 tape in the field and bring it back yeah. to the radio station. Because before that, you were literally using cassette recorders yeah. some, with all their attendant. Some problems. people had to real time dub their digital recordings into a computer digitally yeah so you had to play it if you if you recorded a 35 minute interview you had to play it for 35 minutes into the computer and then later on in the mini discs uh lifespan you you you, you got the ability to uh do a digital transfer. but you could also and we did this quite a bit i uh, uh was edit the disc itself yeah it was editing capabilities built into the recorders so as long as you weren't doing a very um sophisticated edit right if you just wanted to cut out a couple things uh and shorten it you could do that and i did a lot of that on the fly where i only had a half an hour to get something how uh, fun so mini discs are coming back were, huh they were used um until pretty recently at the college radio station where i volunteer at kfjc and they were used by our production department so things like legal ids like the station ids that you hear at the top of the hour and promotions for people's radio shows and underwriting spots. So all of that was recorded onto mini disc. Yep. Yeah. And we did that. I, was we used, did that for a long time right. at stations I worked at. Yeah. KPFA too. Um, yeah, and so it replaced the cart um, at our radio station. As far as you know, carts were sort of these eight track like tapes that were used for similar purposes. Yeah. And the mini disc was just easier to record onto, easier to queue up and play. And, and nice. how how extremely obsolete are these mini discs, Paul? How when was the last time these things were a relevant uh, uh, music format? Well, they I don't think they've been a relevant music format. They never were <laughs> uh, since the '90s. They were really became like something that people could record on and use. I think that uh, the existence. Did people- did people release music on mini discs yeah. in the 90s? Yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, yes, in the 90s. Um, in, in late oh, 90s, uh, music was released. Sony released music, other labels. Ryko Disc released music. Um, but it largely, uh, people were like, I can dub my CD, basically. So yeah. the, the utility of having a mini disc only release kind of faded. Uh, these days, uh, you know, rather. I think that there I guess were. It's, it's, use, it's useful to mention they're smaller than CDs. Yes, yeah, they're they're smaller than like a, a three and a half inch floppy disk. If people remember those, they're like a book, a matchbook, it's, basically. Well, it's like a size of a post it. They're very yeah. small. Yeah, that's exactly the size. Um, and I think independent artists have released music on mini disc over the years, um, so it's not completely gone away. But I mini disc sort of fell out of favor by the you know twenty ten ish. Because uh, flash recorders, you know, like Zoom recorders, yeah. people may be familiar with, uh, became practical and expensive and were more convenient to use um, in, in, in that time. And so I think the last recorders were made in the last within the last decade. And you can still buy Sony apparently is still manufacturing blank discs in Japan. Wow. 
So it, you have to kind of get them imported from Japan, I think. <laughs> uh, but they're they're still around, and it's interesting now. There's this resurgent, you know. I think would say it is nostalgic, uh, but I don't. I think we'd be wrong headed to say it's only nostalgia because I think a lot of the folks who are getting into mini disc at the moment are young people who didn't really experience them much it the is, first time. It is around. an extremely viable physical media format. It's it, actually one of the most robust. Yeah. It is know, more robust than CD. Because the because like a cassette, like the plastic case holds your very sensitive magnetic tape in a nice little plastic box, the mini disc plastic cassette holds your much more robust CD mini CD inside of a plastic well, box. And, and it's because it isn't a real mini CD. It's like a floppy disk if anyone's ever seen one of those. It, and it's the way you record on a mini disk. We won't get into the technical <laughs> details. Makes it actually more robust than a yeah, CD. But it's physical and that's probably yeah. why it really was in an age where everything sort of started to become untethered from from the physical world when it comes to media. Here's a, here, was, here was the last piece of media you could hold you could you could walk around with it. You could put it on in the desk drawer. Yeah. And there are drawbacks, but there are also really, uh, you know, some some philosophical and some very practical uh, uh, pluses. When a hard drive media. crashes, it takes out you know hundreds of recordings with it. Uh, when one mini disc crashes, it takes eighty minutes with it. Yeah. Unless you take an entire box of mini discs and run them over with a car. So that's some of the radio and audio trends we've identified uh, as being big in 2019. What do you think? Drop us a line. Send us an email to podcast at radiosurvivor.com or drop us a line on Facebook. Drop us a line on Twitter. We're Radio Survivor. We're very easy to find. We took down some show notes. So if you want to follow up on some of the things we referenced here, Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and you can read up and you can go down the kind of rabbit holes that we love going down. This is this is what we're here for, is for all the great audio and radio rabbit holes. And we are a listener and reader supported enterprise. To learn more about that, please go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Jennifer, any any final words for 2019? Can you can you give I'm us in one sentence? <laughs> I'm thinking about the summary. AM and FM is dead and mini discs live. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where we leave it. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us. All right. Thank you. And thank you for spending another hour with us. <laughs>